know, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And, like, <laughs> um, I, I didn't understand what the opposition of gay marriage was because, like, like you just got to submit to the vagina. Or, like, you're okay with that, but you're not okay if it's, like, the two penises and two vaginas. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> I did all these, like, illustrations. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I... <laughs> I mean, I can believe it, but some of them are... Hello friends and welcome to episode 7, I think. I was doing math earlier and I think it it parsed out to 7. Episode 7 of So Poetry? Um, I am in the golden retriever infested <laughs> house of my friend and, uh, shop co-worker, Danielle Ariano. Hello. Um, um, yeah, we, I don't know. I, this is going to be an interesting episode because a lot of times at the shop, Danielle and I will have these kind of like deep conversations in between like sanding things or cutting a bunch of stuff on the table saw. Um. But it's been, I think the last time that we actually, like, hung out and talked was um, at the bar before Mia's, like, party Party. thing, like, a year ago. A year ago, yeah. Um, But anyway, so this is Danielle. Hello, everybody. You want to say some things about yourself? Um, Sure. That's cool. I do. (laughs) Um, I don't really know what. I, um... I didn't really prepare this part, but I'm... Um, Again, you've listened to every podcast. And yet I've listened to every podcast <laughs> except for one. Um, yeah, I was just slightly panicking as you were saying that, because I was like, he's going to ask me something about myself. And what will I say? Um, so yeah, I am a, primarily a nonfiction writer, and um, I have kind of a weird, I think weird, relationship with poetry. Um... So I'm kind of excited to talk about it, and I've been enjoying thinking about it. Um, but yeah, uh, Michael and I went to the University of Baltimore together. Briefly. Um, briefly. He graduated the year behind <coughs> me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it wasn't all that brief. Yeah, but we didn't know, really know each other there. So um, yeah, I don't know. That's it. I don't really like to talk about myself a lot. So. Well, you're going to be for well, the next, like, hour. I know, but, like... <laughs> oh, like, personal I'll be thinking business. about my... I'll be talking about what I think, which is different from talking about me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so, um, like Danielle said, she is a writer, um, primarily nonfiction. So she is my first writer non-poet um, guest that I've had on Soa Poetry. Um, Anthony is, like, he, he writes nonfiction, but he also, like, he's been getting more and more into poetry. Tracy is definitely a poet. Um, Anne-Marie and Sarah Bear were, um, or are non-writers, but, uh, big devourers of poetry. And Danielle is my first writer, but not poet, like, non-poet writer. Yeah. Um, which actually, earlier in the shop, we were talking about, um, 
that whenever like whenever I encounter people that don't that write but don't write poetry, there's always a sort of like, oh, I wonder, I wonder why not. Um, because I um, if I had better visual art skills, like physically, like being able to picture things in my head and like arting them out. Arting them. Yeah. Um, I think that I probably would have wound up a painter, probably a landscape painter. Um, but I can't. I don't. I'm no good at that. So I get a lot of images, and I. Um, it's much more like my poetry, or the things that I, I think about, or things that I feel much more about, like space and transfers of experience. Um, and the best form of. Um, um, the best, like outlet for that that I found is either music or writing and like in writing poetry because it's usually non-narrative and it's just sort of like these these things right um concentrated images yeah sort of yeah but you you paint right or you you dabbled in painting um I do sometimes a little bit of painting but I can't I can't do anything in terms of like like you know anything that's tangible or whatever like an actual scene or you know it's just messing around to me um so it tends to be more abstract stuff yeah that's yes that's what i was looking for thank you <laughs> tangible abstract yeah i mean i can't paint bodies or you know mm-hmm. beings or whatever um but it's it's funny that you said that like you would be a painter because so that that kind of means that you're restricted by your skill mm-hmm. like your actual physical partly skill i also it's very um it's very difficult for me to hold um visual images in my head like when i think about things or when i'm like if i'm trying to recall somebody's face i have a super hard time right doing that or if i'm trying to re- like recall a, a mountain or um, I'm sorry, Maddie is like sitting right here and she's like breathing so hard Maddie that is, I don't want people to think that it's me. <laughs> Maddie Go is, lay down. is one, of, one of Danielle's two golden retrievers who Go is, lay down. wants to be a part of this podcast recording. She, she I think she probably is because I feel like you had to have picked up that breathing. She's like, <laughs> like panting. Anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, but like if I were to um, like see a building or something, unless I was there, like in the moment painting it, I don't think I could actually recall it. Or like if I'm if I'm working out like um, like in the shop, if I'm trying to figure out like what something is going to look like in a in a physical space, I have to draw it out. Right. Because um, I can't like I can't have that going in my head. Right. Um. um but whenever I think of like narrative stuff, it always come happens visually for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know, like all all the ideas that I have for for stories usually happen as like a film or like a graphic novel or something. But that's the way that it plays. That's the way that I see it, and not yeah. like the word, like the writing aspect of it. Right. See, that's like that's weird. It's not weird, but. I when I was in undergrad, like all I wanted to do was be a fiction writer. Like really, yes. Huh. And at a certain point, I realized, well, 
when it came time to sort of apply for grad schools, like one of my primary like mentors basically said like you're not ready for grad school yeah wow um and I was like devastated you know I mean you know I was 21 and I was just like oh my god my life just ended my world's (laughs) over like I can't go to grad school she's not gonna write me a letter but anyway the point of that being that um I, at, at a certain point, realized that I actually was a really shitty fiction writer. <laughs> and I realized that that wasn't the genre that I sort of, like, belonged in. Mm-hmm. Um, but back when I graduated from college, it was 99, and it was, like, not a big world for nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And so it was either journalism or, you know, fiction mm-hmm. or poetry. And, right. And, um... Yeah, there wasn't, like, the whole, like, personal essay revolution yeah. really didn't happen until, like, mid, in 2000, like, early 2000s, mid 2000s. I don't, I don't even know what, I mean, what the date would be, but, um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was not, yeah, it must have been, because it wasn't really, Did I you think usually... it was sort of exist, I mean, it existed then, but I don't think there were a lot of programs to... Oh, go yeah. to or there weren't a lot of like creative nonfiction programs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, because most of like the memoir stuff that was out was like better known, like big name people that were writing stuff like towards the end of their life. It's like this is this is my life in broadcasting. Right. I mean, yeah, that was the traditional, you know, role of it was you had to have had this really big mm-hmm. life, you know, yeah. to have sort of the justification to write about yourself Mm -hmm. um Hmm. but anyway so i so i kind of took a really long break from writing and then got back into writing and when i got back into writing i was writing nonfiction, Mm. and it was i don't know it was i just sort of stumbled into a class and it was you know Mm -hmm. that was what i wound up writing and it was okay and i was like oh i'm like this is this makes sense to me in a way that fiction never made sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I just kind of... But, I mean, I had that experience of, like, wanting to right. be this thing and then mm-hmm. understanding that that really didn't suit me. Right. You know? Yeah. And even I, though I wanted to. <laughs> I see... So I In some of the classes in undergrad um, that I took, like, we talked about... Um, like one of the things that, that came up a couple of times, well, in undergrad and in grad school, um, we talked about like the difference between um, like a prose poem and like flash fiction, or like later in grad school, like flash nonfiction or like like super super short personal essays and or like lyrical essays and stuff. And like what what's the difference and where um, like when you get into those formats is there actually a difference between the things that you're writing or do they all like, they seem to all kind of pin towards um, like the same, they, t- they seem to tend to towards occupying the same sort of space. Right. Um, but in, in learning about that, I realized that um, like of the three kind of like major writing fields now, like of fiction, of, of fiction, nonfiction and poetry, um, nonfiction kind of o- occupies the space between fiction and no, nonfiction occupies the space between fiction and poetry. That it's like narrative and storytelling in the way that fiction is, but it's um, a lot more elliptical and a lot more 
uh, hinged upon like experiences and the way mm. that things are developed. There's, it's not based on the story. It's like you you pin it on other things, which is a lot closer to poetry, and especially with um, like the idea that before memoir was you had to have this big big life to justify writing this thing, whereas a lot of memoir now is about the kind of like smaller, more unique moments of somebody's life that's like right. they're not they're not i mean they're unique but they're not this like big big you know like I was famous a, big. yeah it's a big game hunter right. and you know like was <laughs> lost at sea for three years or something like that right and it's like you know i went to the store and yeah my heel broke and that unleashed this whole thing about my mom or like i don't know <laughs> yes that is just <laughs> what i'm always writing about is how my heel broke at the store <laughs> <laughs> like you know like those like no the... i know it's more mundane and it's more i know what you mean i'm just making fun of yeah it's like table. those those like narrative like or i guess like narrative moments that happen that break open to some sort of emotional right. truth or it's like that that's the emotionality of stuff um like the the emotional underlife seems to me to be the um like more where the focus of not at least the nonfiction that i've, I've read kind of lies Right, because it's personal on right, some level. Yeah. So it's it's and and also because as you become a character in the story, you know, mm -hmm. you are you are yourself, but you are a character and then you have to consider the audience and like, well the audience what's the audience's reaction gonna be to this character and mm -hmm. you know opening yourself and being vulnerable is is part of the like whole writing of nonfiction or else right. it's like the audience won't have an attachment to the character who right. is you, yeah. you know, which is weird. It's always weird to think of yourself and, like, the people in your life and in your stories as characters. But, like, essentially that's what they become and that's yeah. what you become. It's very, very weird. Yeah. But mm -hmm. but the other thing about nonfiction, which we should get to poetry at some yeah. point. Yeah, oh, but, we, will. we will. We have time. But we We're have, only 14 we got, minutes we in. Got we got days. <laughs> um... <laughs> The thing about nonfiction that, so I, I think I kind of have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about nonfiction because I feel like it's like the, um, it's like the, the bullied kid on the school, mm. you know, like, because a lot of people have a really negative reaction to it mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, you must just be a self, you know, self-centered person right, yeah. to kind of write this stuff. And, um, mm -hmm. the thing to, the thing about it is that like, when nonfiction is done right and when it's written well, it's not, um, although it can be cathartic for the writer to write it, the point of writing it is not, like, <laughs> for the writer to have, like, yeah. let their emotions out. Whereas, like, when I read what I think of as bad, like, in quotes, mm -hmm. um, nonfiction, like, that's what it is. It's yeah. it's It's writing where... You know, the audience is never considered where the the universal like the universality or whatever of the idea that you're you know, or the experience is right. not being thought about because the point of it is you know, to get across like something that's a universal experience. Right. Even if it's a very particular thing that you're going through, the emotions or whatever, something right, yeah. else is gonna be universal. Yeah, and that's that's the sort of um like the weird like the weird way into universal like 
things that are very far-reaching that a lot of people can relate to is that you have to get really super specific about yourself. Um, right, which, which is, is so weird. Yeah, and it's like that's that and that that aspect of it uh, definitely is reminiscent to me of poetry. A lot of like confessional poets right. or poems, um, or a lot of like, you know, like Bukowski or Charles Wright or Mary Oliver, or, like anybody who writes um, predominantly from kind of like the first person, and not necessarily out of out of a persona, but like they're or, like you know Billy Collins or somebody that's like they, the poems that they're writing and when they say I they to mean like the actual poet writing these poems right um that you um like you pinpoint these super super specific instances um that like lends a level of authenticity to it because you're actually describing an experience that you've had but underneath it there is like an emotion right like a true emotion that somebody else can attach to it that um you know like I got stuck in traffic on Tuesday coming up from Bethesda and it was super frustrating and I was like on the verge of actually crying just because I was like, I want, I just want to go home. Right. And that feeling of like tapping into it or reaching that point of just like, I just want to be home, I think is something that a lot of people have felt and it's just, you know, it's like you wind up in the same kind of basin of these experiences. It's just a difference of like what you kind of tumbled down into you're like oh yeah i'm i know exactly what you're i've i had that you know two days ago when i was right. dealing with something else but right. you know to you you kind of plinko into this the same same spot right yeah one of my favorite like um i think but one of my favorite um contemporary writers is cheryl Strayed and um her you know book wild which is like now you know this crazy bestseller blah 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 um you know is about her mother dying essentially and you know how she dealt with her grief and you know while i have not you know had that experience of like losing my mother thankfully mm -hmm. um you know there's just like the the way that she sort of spirals down and goes like down 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 to like and like kind of has to come back out the other side like that's the universal part of it because like i've you know i've never had this experience and yet i can relate to everything that she writes about right yeah because it's it's and it's grief and everyone's right, like had right some level of that or yeah some experience, with it. experience with loss or some sort of like emotional upheaval like like that emotional vanishing right that takes place right and sort of a you know whatever your lowest point in your life has been mm -hmm. is sort of what you will relate to mm -hmm. in leaving that you know yeah. and it will be different for everybody but it's like everybody's had one yeah you know so yeah which i think like in regards to fiction it's a lot i don't it seems to me that a lot more difficult to actually come up with um full-fledged characters that actually can experience that without being like falling into one of the um you know like the the archetypes of storytelling or archetypes of like of narrative structure and all these things that um because you know it's like you you have to, you you have an infinite realm of things that you can come up with and it's like having those frameworks kind of help whereas with in life Right. Like you you're totally not in control it's like the shit just kind of happens to you right um 
and like it's documentations of your responses to these things and like actually getting um you know like the behavior and the you know whatever other people do it's like that's actually stuff that people have have done um i mean it might be conflated a little bit or you know maybe doctored because of like memory and you know it's like the right and because it's like you have to tell the story in a way that somebody can actually read it right yeah (laughs) yeah so there in truth there is no nonfiction. i mean there is no real nonfiction. it's all fiction but um i guess like and i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i've been working on this essay about writing nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um like the only rule really I mean, there are a lot of rules, you know, there are a lot of guidebooks for right, writing yeah. nonfiction and I guess for writing anything really, but the, um, is that one that's on the bed? Photo? Yes. <laughs> yes. Which I, I have the art of memoir by, um, Mary Carr, which I try <laughs> to avidly avoid, you know, those prescriptive books, but I really like Mary Carr. So I got this one and started reading it and it was really awesome. But then I got bored in the middle part, so I haven't. I've moved on to reading another book. But I, I um. I don't remember why I started saying that. Rules when you when you you're working on an essay about nonfiction. Nonfiction and writing. How it's it, how there's no nonfiction. It's all fiction. Oh right. Well, so there are a ton of rules that uh, you know, but they're different for everybody essentially, and like mm-hmm. um, but the only like true like hard rule to me in writing that fiction is like you are doing your best to tell the truth mm-hmm. you know and like because of memory and because of the way that you have to structure a story and compress time sometimes and you know mm-hmm. you're also manipulating you know what you tell first you know do you right, tell the yeah. ending first do you tell the beginning fair you're going to tell it chronologically you're going to tell it what, however so you're manipulating everything but if your goal is to be truthful Right. Then, you know. Yeah. And to, you know, adhere to that as much as you can mm-hmm. in, in like, your interactions with other people and, and right. in, like, internal, like, search for what was going on with yourself. Right, you know? yeah. Um, then that is my definition of nonfiction, I guess. But okay. I don't know. I've, I've actually bumped up against that a couple times in some of the... Um, the poems that I've written that it's like I, I do my best I think this is a lot of the haiku influence that I do my best to try to present if like I'm, if I'm drawing from real life or real experiences to do my best to present them the actual way that they happen like the um I wrote a I don't think I don't think I've sent you any of the stuff that I wrote while I was in Nebraska um, no just um the ones I heard on the podcast which I think you read two or just one I can't remember two. Yeah. yeah but it was the first one and the last one um, yeah. I'll, I'll send those. Yeah. I'll send them your way. Um, but there was one night that I went out to um, karaoke with some of the other residents, and there was a guy that um, in the, the bar. Guy. Yeah. And like, I wrote a poem. I heard a lot of stories about the bee guy. Did you meet him? No. Because I didn't go to karaoke. Oh, that's right. Which we should say that we were both. Oh yeah. So this is a weird. I'll, I'll put oh. my my other story on pause to tell this little random happenstance. Um, so did you did you find out about Art Farm after I I told you I applied or did you find it independently from from me? I think I think we found it independently. Okay. 
So um, the residency that I, I went to the first two weeks of October, um, Art Farm out in Nebraska, um, Danielle also applied and was accepted to the residency. And um, I think I said on the podcast before that I originally had intended to go for the entire month of October and then realized I didn't financially, I couldn't pull that off. Although I realized right before I left that I probably could have, or while I was there, I was like, oh yeah, I could have done this for, <laughs> for a, full, a whole month. Damn it. Um, but I emailed the, the head of the program, Ed, and I was like, you know, can I, can I change it? Can I just shorten it to two weeks? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. So I chose the first two weeks of October. Totally independently, Danielle chose the last two weeks of October. Right. Um, so I, um... But initially, you were supposed to be there for all of October. Right, yeah. So I would have, I, and originally, I would have, I would have been at the residency at the same time as Danielle. Which would have been weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um... But it worked out that I was, I left and then was there for two weeks and then I got back and then Danielle was out there for two weeks and then, so I, we ended up not seeing each other for like the entire month of October. Yeah, which was really terrible. Yeah. The shop was not, not as much fun when Danielle, when you weren't there. That's funny because I'm not very fun at the shop. Homie, but it's like I didn't have anybody like it. Like, talk to. yeah, like the the long conversation that we had right. today. I was like, I'm just I'm just gonna do work. Yay. Right. Yeah. There's no there's nobody to talk to. Because like Ralph's usually in his office, and John was out was down, you know, dealing yeah. with his his daughter's stuff. <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. There's a lot of drama at the shop. Shop drama. There's Dra- drama everywhere. There's, there's drama everywhere, but there's not drama. When Michael and I are there. Yeah. We just talk about whatever. Yeah. Poetry. And making fun of um, NPR reporters. Voices? Yeah. That's all, that's all you. <laughs> okay. So anyway. Um, Art farm. Yeah. So the bee guy um, kind of cornered me and another one of the residents um, and just like talked. And it was like it, a very enlightening conversation because he, he mentioned a lot of stuff about bees that I had no idea and that ended up becoming a poem um, and I did my best to like present the information that I got in a way that was if nothing else emotionally truthful and that's kind of my main it seems to be kind of the main concern of, of mine when I write poetry is that it can be there's a difference between things that are like factual and things that are possibly the things that are true or at least emotionally true it's like you can you can present all the facts and it not be like anything it's just a like a catalog of you know like an itinerary of these are the things that you did and then you can prevent something present something that is um while maybe not factually true or chronologically true is emotionally true right um which a lot of times for me carries a little bit more weight Although I think it's just because that's usually the place that I spend most of my time is figuring out things that are like, like if it's emotionally true or, right? Because um, that's like that has the more impact for me. Right. That's that's the most important truth in your life, I think. Yeah. I mean. I mean, it's great if you can hit all the truths and I mean, get that like bingo no, thing. They all but, lined up. They yeah. never all line up. <laughs> bingo. <laughs> no way. Truth bingo. Truth bingo. No, I don't think, I don't, at least in my experience of life, they don't line up that much. It's mostly like, um, emotional truth. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's like the yeah. big thing, really. I mean, facts facts are nice. Yeah. And they're great and they're important, especially when you're writing nonfiction. They're very important. Yeah. But getting to the emotional truth of like yeah, because you know like you that's... have an experience. We have the same experience. If we have the same experience, your experience is different from mine. Right. In how you perceive it, even though we might. You know, the TV think. might be in the corner of the room, and the, this might be here, and that might be there, and all of those things might line up, but yeah, those the, might be, be the only things that line up. You yeah, know? That, I guess the emotional truth hits much more in, like, the subjectiveness of reality and the fact that, like like you said, that, you know, we could both have experienced the same thing and re- recount that, like, you know, we were going this place, we were going to this place in the car, we stopped here, we did this, right. but what's spinning around on the inside is totally it can be and usually is like totally two separate worlds of like what's going on in my internal life and what's happening in your internal life which yeah. then colors the subjective of what the actual experience was right um and can lead us to two very different you know right and it's all true yeah on both ends yeah. right but if i tried to pretend that whatever you felt was what i felt and right, then, yeah. then, you know mm-hmm. that's not getting to the truth so yeah, yeah. Speaking not of any of truth at all. Speaking of lies. Yes. Um, have you written poetry before? Like, have you ever dabbled in it at all? Yes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like all writers kind of, like, have... It, either you have, like, a poetry phase, and then right. you move on to whatever it is you actually are going to write, or you, <laughs> or you never... You just get stuck there. <laughs> or you're stuck in that phase? No. <laughs> Or you're a poet. <laughs> I think that's a better way to put it. Um, I so so one of the questions like for this podcast is like something about what's your relationship with poetry or like what well, yeah that's um, exactly what is your relationship yeah with poetry? so I was thinking about it and I'm like what is weird. my relationship it's weird yeah it's weird but I was thinking about it more like chronologically you know and and mm. um. So and I was laughing to myself about this because when I was in high school, I would write poems, you know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> terrible poems. Oh, of um, course. But one of the You're poems... You're very good company. Yes. One of the poems that I wrote was, um, it it got into the school paper. Like, I think, I don't, I guess I like submitted it to the school paper and like everybody loved this poem. <laughs> and it was the first experience that I had with like being quote-unquote published, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sort of having that, like, recognition and, you know, it's sort of like a charge when you get published and right, like, yeah. people read it, you're excited, you know? Yeah, and then people, the fact that people actually like it is a whole other Right, level, yeah, that's right? a whole, right, that's a whole other thing, so, but anyway, the poem was about, like, um... Do you remember it? I don't remember it, but I remember, I remember the last line was... <laughs> <laughs> the last, lay it on us. The last line was... It was about um, the war, because the war, like, the war had started or had been going on. I think it started when I was... Wait, which The war? Iraq War. Oh, okay. I think it started... I can't remember what year it started. But anyway, it was very, like, scary to me, and the whole, like, idea of the draft was very scary to me. And so the poem was about, um, like, mothers and sons, like, saying goodbye because the draft had, like... Oh. like come mm-hmm. and so that was the last line it was like god help us the draft has come which is <laughs> just, just like so terrible but the rest of it leading up to that like last 
that last line was, you know, very, like, emotional and image, sort of, like, uh-huh. of, like, sad images of mm-hmm. people, like, parting ways and whatever. Um, but anyway, that was, that was the first poem that I remember writing, which is very sad. Um, and then, and then after that, like, I don't think I wrote, I wrote some pretty bad poems in college. I, I took a poetry class in college and they were pretty bad poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't, I just kind of like every once in a while now, if I, if I, I still have to respond to your yes, poem. Yes, you do. I'll do that this weekend. All right. Um, yeah, I wrote one poem at Art Farm, um, which which was kind of a weird experience because I don't write poetry. I don't think of myself as a poet. Um, but I also wrote another poem. I actually have a poem published, like real, really published. Oh. So that's kind of weird. But um, but it was like this really strange... It was something I wrote for Experimental Forms. Oh, okay. Um, so it was... Experimental Forms was a class that we both that we were required to take as part of our graduate program. And, um, you know, it was essentially like doing a lot of things that you wouldn't normally do and yeah, studying we, we writers. Yeah, we read just a bunch of um, writers who did, like, I think, I don't know if Erasure, if Steve showed you the humanments, like the Erasure, mm-hmm. the huge, like the first big Erasure poem thing that got a lot of attention. I don't think so. Okay. But. Did you read uh, I'm Not Jackson Pollock? No. I think you told me about that though. Um, no, we read Unoya or okay. however you say yep. that. Um, mm-hmm. And we read. By Christian Book. Bach. Whatever, yeah. however you pronounce B O with the two dots on it. Yeah. Hey. That. Yeah. Um, no, but anyway, I wrote this long sections poem that has like a lot of different sections, but it was it was about like personal stuff and about political stuff like mixed together so that was and I don't think that that's a terrible poem I mean but what the hell do I know so yes you're pointing at me yeah have you ever read the glass essay by Ann Carson no I don't think so oh I have to send you that okay um the glass essay Mm mhm uh is that what it's called Mm -hmm. oh so Ann have you read any Ann Carson I'm not really sure. I think I think you would enjoy her stuff because she's like. I don't think I have. She's she's a weird poet. Um, she usually well she's a um, like in. Classics, like like ancient Greek, classic, uh, scholar and she like, um, one of her more well known books is the Autobiography of Red, which is like a retelling of some fragmented, um, like lesser known Greek myth with this like red monster red flying monster that Hercules had to go kill and steal his sheep mm-hmm. or his cattle as one of his like tasks okay um so it's a it's a novel written in verse okay and the glass essay is a personal essay written in verse wow yeah so it's like it does all the things that um like still life with uh Lemons of Oysters does but it's like written as a as a poem, um, which is really really it's it's neat. It's a really interesting read. Right, 
That's really that's really cool. I like the idea of that. Yeah, you probably really enjoy the essay. It's like she goes to visit her mom, and she's having like the some like wastelandy more of Canada somewhere, and it's all um like bleak. And then she'll bring in so she'll be like there'll be like a section about her and her mom, and there'll be another section about something else, and it'll kind of like weave itself back into being about her, like her spending time with her mom, and then it'll kind of like wander out, and then that will get woven back to it. Yeah. It sounds sort of like, um, I can't remember her name. Oh, Abigail Thomas, like, who wrote, um, Safekeeping, which was sort of like, it's not written in verse, but it's all very fragmented, short, um, like, like micro essays almost. Ooh. So yeah. You I, sh yeah, I should lend that to you. I bet you'd like it. Carson also did a collection, you saying that reminded me, she did a collection called Short Talks, which are like three to five sentence. I think they were imagined as like um, a lecture series, just like little micro lectures on given, given topics. And there's like, I don't know, like 30 or... 40 of them and it's like three to five sentences on this like on something or on right you know whatever yeah um which are also really interesting i think i'm i have a lot of her a lot of her stuff i think you would really really dig her as a writer i'll send some stuff your way yeah definitely do um okay so uh like has there been oh do you do you actively read poetry Oh, so, um, I think that, well, not, not a lot. Okay. I don't, um. Did you encounter it a lot in, like, the typical, like, in high school, you read, like, the romantics, and then? Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, in high school and in college, um, whatever class in college that, you know, um, like where you're reading of... from those anthologies, oh, you yeah. know, um, and, I never had like a, um, I always had, I guess a good, you know, I, I'm thinking back to like Amory's like experience mm -hmm. of like hating poetry and then understanding that poetry is not whatever, necessarily whatever it was that she thought it was. Right, and it yeah. could be things could that be she actually, right. Yeah. Um, so I never had that, that like, I hate poetry sort of like stance or that. You know, I was sort of open, I think, to, like, most of the things that I was reading. Like, I would find something to like or mm -hmm. something in them. So there's not any poetry that I hate or, you know. Um, but I guess the, when I, when I do read poetry now, it's mostly, like, going back to things that, I have come across before and that mm. I have emotionally impacted me. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of like rereading of, of poems that I know and there's less, you know, finding new poems and reading them. I, I guess, you know, I get a lot of exposure to new poems when I go to readings. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't buy that many books of poetry, which actually has changed in this past year. I probably bought more books of poetry than I probably bought in the last like 10 years wow i don't know Jeez. i'm just guessing because i really don't buy i really like yeah don't have a lot of books of poetry on my shelf um 
but most of the the poems that I've come across are either like something that a friend has shared or like mm-hmm. um, something I read in college or um, yeah, I don't know, just stuff like that. So that's mostly like experience wise how I kind of come across it. But but I have a couple of like um, I guess it was right shortly after I graduated from college, mm-hmm. um, which was really basically like terrible time in my life like I think I feel like that's a really weird transition of moving from being in school to being in the world and Mm -hmm. um I didn't really I don't think handle it like particularly well um so there was like this um this poet named I think her name's Kay Ryan I have to double check but um K-A-Y Yes, K-A-Y Ryan, um, who, you know, a friend had a book of her poems, and, mm-hmm. I, and I read them, and I'm just like, oh my god, like, <laughs> you know, I'm in love with, like, yeah. like, and I have a couple that I, like, I have them written down in my journal, mm-hmm. like, because I didn't buy the book, you know, back then, I, like, mm. didn't have money to buy a poetry book. So you just, you copied, um, you copied the poems. So yeah, I mean, I wrote them down. You know, it was before you could, like, take a picture of <laughs> your phone. Yeah. Um, you know, and I kind of forget about them. And then and then I was like, oh, like, I ha- I remembered in, like, thinking about what, you know, about doing this podcast. I was like, I remembered that I have them written down. And I actually have sent them to friends in certain, you know, mm-hmm. times where, you know, they're just poems that spoke to me. And I felt like, okay, I need, I need to write this down and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I just dropped a piece of cookie, so that's not good. Have there been any of, like, the writers that have significantly impacted and, like, altered your writing life? Have any of those been poets? Hmm. You can say no. I know. It's, it's okay. My oh. bright... <laughs> my headphone popped out of my ear. No. Um, I really don't need it. Oh, I was like wondering. I'm like, what does that do? No, it's just I hear kind of a little bit of, of a delay of what, like the levels and stuff on. Oh, the, gotcha. That just makes me feel like I'm <laughs> You're like, a professional. Right. Put that back in. <laughs> um, I don't think in, in a... Um, I think I think that's a hard question like I don't think there's not one I can name and be like this person very much influenced the way I write mm-hmm. um, we're not not necessarily writing but I mean I, I know that I asked that about specifically about writing but just right. like just like changed or altered your your perception or your view or like not like there was a you could a poet that you could point to that very decisively like knock you somewhere or like change your trajectory in some way I don't think so I don't think there's like a poet I can point to there's it's more like poems Mm. um because it was always you know when I was reading them it was never it was never about the poet like I didn't I didn't care the work itself I didn't care who it was I didn't know them from you know Mm mm-hmm anybody yeah um and and um like still don't really 
Like, mm. I guess, you know, I know I have a little more context of who Mary Oliver is now. Right. You know, yeah. but it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and the poems that I brought, like the couple that I have written down here and, um, one that is my favorite poem. I'm not even sure. I, no, I guess there's a name, but it's like, it was by somebody who wasn't really a poet. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not, it's more a poem like that kind of certain poems have like lodged themselves into my, into my being and like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Have other works of literature done that? Or like any, like other art? Well, I guess like small scale, any other type of writing and then large scale, any other type of art has done that or is it just poems? What, lodge themselves? Or mm -hmm. like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like what... I mean, writing... Um, um, I guess in that really dark time, like after I graduated from college, one of the books I read was um, The Grapes of Wrath, which like blew oh. my mind then. Uh -huh. You know, and I... This is the weird part, is that I recently was listening to this other podcast and... They referenced how the Grapes of Wrath ended, which it had been such a long time that I don't, like, I couldn't remember how it ended anymore. What I remember most from the experience of reading that was that, like, it emotionally sunk into me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, spoiler, in case you don't know how the Grapes of Wrath ended, it ends with a scene of... Um, I can't remember the name of the character, but, like, breastfeeding a starving man. Um, which, wow. at that time... And, yeah, like, how could I forget that? Yeah. Right? Um, and at that time that it was written, it was sort of, like, controversial. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't, I didn't remember that. What I remembered was the emotional, like, feelings. Because it was so much about, like, um, the haves and the have-nots. And, you know... A lot of just injustice and mm -hmm. the system and those are that, things that was written about like depression era well like it was dust bowl the dust stuff bowl, yeah. yeah um so those were things that spoke to me so much at that time in my life they were so important to me mm -hmm. at that time that that's what i remember and that's what lodged itself you know inside of me and i also liked how john steinbeck wrote and you know read a lot of his other stuff because of my reaction to that book um but yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like most, I don't know, a lot of books have like done that for me. With, with the other types of art, the stuff that's lodged themselves, like the pieces of art or whatever the work is that's lodged itself inside of you, um, has it, is the trend that, like John Steinbeck, the ticket, you'll go reach out or seek out other things that they've, whoever it was, had done, or is it? Yeah. But not poetry? No. That's weird. It is weird. <laughs> it is weird. And that's part of... So that's part of why I said my relationship with poetry is strange. Because while I never had this, like, hatred of it, I, I think I had, um, you know, based on, like, high school and the way you, like, dissect it and the oh. way that... I think... And the way that it was like, well, what... Where's the proof for... You know, that was uh -huh. the way... The framework of how... I learned to read poetry was like 
even in college, I remember having to write some kind of argumentative paper about, you know, you come up with a thesis and then you have to point to all the things in the poem that, you know, support your thesis. And like, um, I hated that. Yeah. I hated that exercise of, and that idea of like, that that's the way that you read a poem. Yeah. Cause um, that's like, I can understand, I guess doing that with short stories because it's not like there's typically a point or there's like a reason for the story where a lot of times it's like in my experience with poetry like there's no like there's no reason for this thing it's like it, it just it's just kind of it's there it exists as this thing yeah if that makes i mean like one of the i think i've mentioned this before in the podcast but like one of the most frustrating questions that i get um i haven't gotten in a while which is unthankful for but when I used to share my poems, um, like back in undergrad with my friends and stuff, the usually the first question that I would get upon them reading it what does was, it mean? "Yeah, what does it mean?" Right. I'm like, "Well, I don't, I don't know. It's like an incident experience. It's emotion. Like, what, what the hell emotions mean? Right. I don't know." Whereas, like with short stories, there's typically some sort of like, um, or at least like almost like a lesson, like modernism or like modernist stories, or short stories and stuff. Like a lot of the postmodern stuff, there's no, there's no like point to this shit it's just it's like you know yeah. it highlights the fact that there's no like the point yeah. of it is that there's no point right um yeah but there it seems that with short stories there tends to be more of like evidence of stuff like you can actually develop thesis like a thesis about oh i think this like this, what is this character's motivation well i think the motivation is this based upon right like this is what, what they he said. does here and there and yeah there. whereas yeah. with like a poem you're like i like there's no no characters in this it's just right and there was also the way of analyzing it which like what does this tree mean i don't find it's a tree i don't who gives a shit but there was the other part of it that was like who is the speaker in this poem right yeah like and it was like and how do you know who the speaker is and like i i i tend to think that the speaker is you know the author yeah. which is not the way that it always is but right. those are the the poems that i enjoy reading where yeah. it is more like the I is is I, um, yep. So yeah, so I have this relationship with poetry where like I had that experience, and I think that my experience was like sort of like scared me a little bit away from poetry because I think mm -hmm. it was sort of it's sort of the experience of um, if you can't find the evidence. You, you know, you're not understanding it right. Uh -huh. And it was sort of this, like... I, and I still have this reaction to poetry, like, that's for somebody smarter than me to understand. Oh. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, which which is sort of, you know, why now that I'm sort of... I think I'm at a point where I'm... Like I said, I bought more books of poetry, you know. So I think I'm at a point where I'm sort of coming to understand that there is poetry you know that will speak to me and that I can seek out um but yeah I think that I think that it was sort of this relationship of like almost suspicion or you know or like this like sort of negative feeling around it like mm -hmm. um that there's like you're not smart enough to understand yeah that there's some hidden thing that if you were yes. if you were more insightful or a little bit more clever that you, yes, could, get, you could get it exactly that was my it was there's something hidden in here and if you are smart enough you will understand it and i was like i don't get it mm -hmm. you know and you know wow. who wants to who wants to 
feel like that yeah, all the time, like, you know? So it's, it's like, like self-humiliation when, you, right. when you're up against <laughs> right, that. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's a strange sort of way to interact with it. But I think that, I mean, in part from like, you know, being around you, um, that sort of, I've started and, and going to readings and mm-hmm. experiencing, you know, experiencing stuff. Like, I think that I've sort of come around to a different way of, you know, there's still poems that I read and I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand it, yeah. you know? And I, like, well, that's, I've, so there's a, um, one of the poems that I, or a group of poems that I submitted uh, to my last writing group. Um, one of them was a response to, um, a, a friend of mine's first gallery show down in DC Mm, right, um, I remembered. And like the poem, kind of, kind of. If you can get, if you can look at it in the right light, kind of makes sense. But it really was just like a, a patchwork of things that I was thinking about. Titles of the, each individual piece, or titles of some of the individual pieces, and then like snippets of conversations that I overheard that right. I kind of just like stitched together. So it's that to me. That poem for me is much more about like trying to capture some sort of emotion or something that I felt and the like the the wording and the the stanza breaks and all the like the imagery and things that I use is just a way to develop and open up that's like that emotional space so it doesn't technically like like mean anything and all these there's like no at least for me like writing it there was no like deeper meaning of like oh I used red circles in here what like what is this like, right. go to it's just because one of the paintings had a bunch of concentric red circles right right and who would it was ever like it was that. named Mars or something right yeah you know so and it's it's interesting to me that you can um I think that with with poetry it's um it's a lot more difficult to find that space because there's some like language poems that don't objectively make any sense because right. like the point of the poem is just how these things how Sound. these language how these words and these sounds like what they do when they're put next to each other. Right, but that's what was that's what reading poetry for me was like. Like uh, it was like it was like there was this poem that was a language poem and nobody told me. Oh. You know, and I was yeah. like trying to decipher it and it was like you know, you don't have to do that. Right, yeah. You know, you it just, was like yeah, just relax. It's just it's the <laughs> experience know? of it. Right. Yeah. So that's what reading all poetry kind of felt like. Mm. But I don't know. No, and that's, like, I, I think that there are, I think that a lot of people approach poetry like, um, or like, I see poetry or like, to have a relationship with poetry the same way that I think a lot of people have it with, um, like, Renaissance era art, where, like, all of the, like, the, the, the hand positions and the lighting and the, like, the, the type of flower that's in the thing or, like, the type of bird... Like all has some sort of deeper meaning that all points to something that like if you're in the know you'll get it right and but it's it like, all looks like flat right yeah <laughs> I, I, um, I can't stand that period no well, yeah but the, right, like but, I, anyway. but it's the idea that you know that these things are, are representations right or or that they point to and speak towards and or stand in for things that the, there's a deeper hidden meaning that's like this is what this thing's actually about like the um I don't know when Bosch was painting, but the um, the Garden of Earth, like of Earthly Delights, or like the Garden of Paradise, like his triptych thing with like heaven and then hell and then mm-hmm. Eden, with like the crazy like each each one of those demons and what they were doing represented some sort of 
thing that if you knew about, you're like, oh, haha, I, I get that. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of people, um, their relationship with poetry is kind of like yours, that there's this, like, that all poetry, like capital P poetry, exists as like a, a thing of veiled and hidden meanings. That if you if you can decipher, you're like you'll get what this is supposed right. to be. Um, and in my experience, there's only been a few. Like the wasteland um, is one of those poems. Like you you really have to know what he's going after and like the illusions that he makes for it to be this like bigger thing. Um, but I mean, I definitely gravitate gravitate more towards poets that are just kind of like yeah I went for a walk there's a pond mm -hmm. I thought about death there you go <laughs> or like like Mary Happy Oliver's days. like dogfish where she, like, right. she, you know she goes out and she sees this like fish and you know, like it makes it, it pings different of like images and like emotions and stuff for yeah. her but it's really about you know like her going on a walk seeing this fish trying to figure out what the hell it is and then what realize or like what that experience made her feel there's like there's nothing deeper to it than that right which like i'm glad because it doesn't like that it doesn't have to be like that in and of itself kind of like the um like writing memoir if you've not lived a huge life it's like there you don't it doesn't have to be bigger than what it is like there's value in these you know like if you can if you can extract the kind of like the the deepness of these of these everyday moments like yeah. there's something something you can actually there's actually something you can extract out of it and it's not just it's sort of like flippant like oh you know whatever yeah big giant yeah things yeah you know one thing that um like in i was thinking about this like um in the in reading you know, in reading nonfiction and in reading fiction, like, I feel like that is, that is where I experience or have experienced poetry, like, the most, which, which, like, because I don't, you know, actively seek it out and have all these books of it, um, this is what, I came to this conclusion when I was thinking about, like, all the questions that you asked, um, mm -hmm. because, you know, when I read, um, and especially, like, when I used to read, I would do this more. But I would, you know, basically, like, almost judge the books that I was reading by, like, if I wanted to underline anything, you know? Ah. Because if I wanted to underline something, like, it had moved me, right? Right, yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'll go back to the books and I'll just, like, look at the things that I've underlined because mm -hmm. those are the things that, like, stuck out to me and moved me. Um, and, and, like, there's... Um, there's a line in um, Mary Carr's The Liars Club that, like, um, it says something like, um, sure, the world breeds monsters, but it also breeds, um, oh, I'll read it, I think, right here. Um, you said is that The, the yeah, Liars Club? The Liars Club um, by Mary Carr. Um, so there's this line that I, under, that I underlined, and it says, sure, the world breeds monsters, but kindness grows just as wild. And like, mm. so to me, that is poetry. Yeah. Um, and so I realized that that's a line of poetry in a nonfiction mm -hmm. book, right? Yeah. Um, so I realized that what I tend to underline are things that are to me poems, you know, or poetry, oh. but they become like, that's a nice line on its own. Mm -hmm. Right. 
but it's so much more meaningful if you've read everything that came before it. Right, yeah. So, like, it's, like, all, you know, she has this, like, a lot of crazy, like, terrible experiences. Um, And then you get to that line where, you know, given everything that she's been through, like, that wouldn't be the way that, you know, you would think that she'd come to have a frame for the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But she says that, and you're just like, wow, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, because we've talked about... um, you know how compressed poetry is and how how narrative and you know um long and big you know other writing is mm-hmm. prose writing is and i i guess i think like well why why do you have to why do you have to like say so much you know mm-hmm. like why do there have to be so many words yeah um and that's, well, that's what I, that's great... what i realized i realized that like you're writing to get to those lines right and those lines can be great by themselves yes but they're not as great without all the other stuff. Yes. You know? There's actually... I've I've thought about that. Like, writing into something. Yeah. Um, Maddie just bit, did a big old sigh. She's like, come on, people. <laughs> Poetry. Poetry. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about chasing <laughs> stuff. Anyway. Let's talk about milk bones. Um, in one of like the best American poetry anthologies, I think it's I think it's two thousand either thir- either two thousand thirteen or two thousand twelve. Um, there's a poem in it that the end, like the last stanza, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, were you shushing me or Mm-mm. okay? Sorry. <laughs> I'm just no. <laughs> I was like, you want me to be quiet for a second? <laughs> no. <laughs> um. She was chewing a cookie, and she had her, her pointer finger up against her lips, and I was like, I don't, I don't know You're what... Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't know what to... Anyway. I was um, shushing myself, okay. like, don't chew loudly. <laughs> um, but, like, the last stanza is gorgeous, and it's this beautiful image of, like, the, the speaker, I think, in, like, a canoe on a wake, and it's, like, him, like, trailing their fingers in the water, and it's, like, it's just, it's, it's perfect. And all the stuff that ha- that comes before it is super just disjointed and feels like it's from another piece. Um, but I think that the writer had to work through all of that to get to the final image. And every time that I think about like writing into an image or into an experience, I always think about that poem and like, do you need all of the all the stuff that comes before for that that last stanza to be impactful and to be meaningful, or can you just like right? Does that stanza, and I guess it's like it's the difference between, um, like the Mary, the uh, that line in the um, in the in Mary Mary Carr's book that, like you said, like it the line in and of itself is is a, is a solid line, but it it takes on so much more weight and so much more gravitas when you get the full of like oh this is all the other shit that has gone down and right. it's like to still main to still hold on to that view is like this is a really powerful thing right. Um, or in you know like does the line do can like is that line essentially the compression of all the stuff that's happened like in in that poem right. it's like is does that one line contain all the, all of the emotions and all the work that led up to it um so i don't know i've been th- i've been thinking about that not a lot but it it usually comes to mind when like i cuz a lot of my poems when i get to the end i'm like yeah fuck this is a solid fucking like I nailed this ending, and then I look at it. And I'm like, "Do I need the rest of it? Yeah, do I need? Can 
can I, can I just be it? Because a lot of times it'll be, yeah. you know, um, like a lot of my poems recently have been, um, I've been writing them in like either three or four line stanzas or like a three line stanza and then like a couplet and then another three line stanza. So it's like, it does a lot of the work of like what a haiku does. And so like the, the final images are usually like, it's like, yeah, this is fucking, this is spot on. And I'm like, can I just be a haiku? It's like, do I need the rest of this? It's like cutting out everything yeah. else. <laughs> um, wow. But those are good questions to ask though. I mean, right? Those, yeah. Those are the questions you want to ask. Like, do I need to get rid of all of this? Up. And I think that that's before. like that's part of the the work that like long form writing does is that you get you have so much more space for things to be developed and you can like take your time hanging out in like a scene or doing something and have that be like a crux of something later instead of right. um which for me like better poems it's like it's just those individual scenes and it's, yeah. you know, like you don't there's enough there's enough extra information in it that you can kind of infer what's happening on the periphery or what's informing this one particular scene. But that one scene is essentially like it's the summation or the the essential qualities of all of the rest of what it's like what it's talking about. Right. So it does all the all the work of getting the rest of the stuff, but it kind of yeah. it distills it down to like right. the essence. Right. That's what I think of like the role of a poet is is the distiller. That's actually one of my questions. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, you know, you're just you're just zeroing 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 in on it mm-hmm. and just, you know, that's it. You know, it's just so compressed and so there's not a lot of room to dance around and Yeah. You know, be so I got I got an image of um somebody who's like making I don't know juice. Huh? Juice? Yeah, sure. That's, let's, that's let's what go, I was... Oh. Let's go with juice. Oh, I w- that's what I was thinking. Well, juice. I was, like, I was thinking, thinking like somebody squeezing yeah, like an orange. Like you, you, get, you have an orange or like an apple or something and you like send it through the processor yeah. and then you wind up with just, you know, like, yeah, like this a tiny couple little milliliters. Bit. Right. And it's really potent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's like, it's, I think that like poets by and large, it's like the work that they do is usually looked upon as like like all all it's like you you toil away at these things and you come out with like a poem and like oh that's that's it right and you're like what what do you mean that's it well, I spent like a month on this thing and they're this like this is like two ounces of juice yeah really some, potent some juice you off your feet <laughs> yeah right and I can imagine that that's probably really really frustrating too because like with with novelists or like with um like in the with the MFA with the thesis you know like most of the um. Um, uh oh. There's gonna be a spate of barking. Come on, Maddie, go. No, don't come over here. Whatever. Um, With the MFA, what? Yeah, so, like, you have, um, you have the nonfiction and the fiction writers with books that are, like, two or three times as long as the poets' books. Um, and, like, you know, priced for about the same or a little bit less, and people are like, oh, yeah, I get, I have, like, six. Like Three times as six much. stories and you know like 70 something pages and you're like I got, 10. I got I got 20 poems like 15 pages right give me can I have 20 bucks please yeah but it's, it's, like, it's quality yeah quantity I mean but I know what you mean it's just but I feel the same way when I write an essay like yeah because I will spend 
like all the research and all like the random stuff that you have to sometimes with like you yeah. just get trapped down these holes you're like I need to know like when I was writing the bee poem I did some research on like bee yeah I like you know like is there or, no there was another poem I, I think I did a little research on the bee poem but there was another one that I was oh it was one of the other um, the first poem that I wrote um, I was one of the lines that I was going to use was about like how long a grasshopper lives because oh. I was like you know two weeks in yeah. Nebraska you know about as long as a grasshopper you know something like that and I was like I don't know how long they live and I want to be factual about this so I spent like half an hour researching lifespans of grasshoppers right um, which there's turned, a wormhole yeah and I was like oh well I, I have to like I'm going to change the image for this which I think it worked out better but still you know it's like I that that like half an hour or 45 minutes of time that I spent researching this thing it's like you know this is time going into this poem that if you read the poem you would never know that it, it took me the better part of like a, a day and a half to write it right right but that's exactly I always think of that I mean the the better things that you read are are things of ease and excellent and you know yeah. excellence is is the way that you can identify it is when it's like so good you know mm -hmm. it that it seems easy yeah you know and yeah but when I write an essay I mean it's like oh I have an essay yeah. here and I've been working on it for three months and they're like oh this is this is all you have this is it yeah and it's like, oh, you stop yeah. it I mean I think every writer might, well not every like probably not John Grisham who <laughs> writes like your favorite who <laughs> writes like a book a year or whatever but I mean it's, it's stupid I mean a lot of writers I think you know, well, like I imagine probably artists probably have that experience that. too. Yeah, because I mean, there are times that for some of the songs that I've uh, that I've written with Reason that are up on my SoundCloud, um, actually a couple of ones below this podcast. Hey, yeah, hey, check those out. Um, nudge, nudge. Um, yeah, the, I'll like I'll spend like a week and a half or something working on the song, and it's like a like a four minute thing. Yeah, and like I I would hope that people listening to it like there's that that quality of excellence or that quality of like holy shit this is really fucking good um but i also can see i mean I, like you said it's like that frustration of it's like when you you come at like you're locked away and you come out with something and like this is this is it this is what i've been doing right. and they're like oh it's just and then the other thing is that like it's just paper yeah paper and like ink yeah which cracks me up because at least if you're a visual artist, you can like pull the sheet off something. You know, yeah, I've, like, I've thought about this. Like, like you, you can, unfold it. You like, like have like a, my essay. <laughs> like a read sculpture, it. and you like reveal it. You know, and, and it's, it's like sitting big, on a pencil. It's like oh, there is something I can look at, and I can look at again. But if it's like you know, a piece of writing, you actually have to read or like it. A, like an email that and, you sent, like a PDF file. Like yeah, and people don't even really like a lot of people don't even like to read. So it's like here it is, and like, they're oh, like, oh, oh that's great. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll, okay. I'll get to that. All right, but anyway, self-pity. Self-pity. <laughs> poor us. Poor, um, poor us. When, this was, um, you said that you're getting um, a lot more exposure to poetry with through readings. Right. Um, so kind of like a joint, a two-part question of what is, what is your experience or what is your opinion of readings? And two, what is your preferred way to experience a poem? Yeah. Um, so the first part 
what is my experience with reading stuff? Yeah, like what, like what do you, what are your, what are your feelings? Oh about? yeah, yeah. Um, well, I generally, so in like full spirit of disclosure, Michael and I have talked about this a lot, um, and so I've thought about it a lot. Um, I really generally get excited to go to readings and I look forward to them, but I've been thinking more and more about them as, um you know, after having seen so many people and, you know, essentially mm-hmm. you're like, you know, after reading, you're like, well, I really liked this person and I really, you know, I wasn't so crazy about this person or this, you know, this work or that work. Um, but more often than not, I feel like it's like the person you're judging. Like, it's like the person and their performance, mm-hmm. not the actual writing. Right, yeah, right? because the writing, like, uh, the writing can be phenomenal, but right. if you deliver it in a crappy way, you're like, yeah. oh, this is... Like, yeah. Oh, this, uh, yeah. So it's strange to me now when I go to readings because I'm, I'm aware, aware of, that of the fact yeah. that I'm, you know, that people are performing mm-hmm. and that I am responding to a performance rather than to, like, words. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's kind of been this weird sort of, you know, fallout from all the discussions we've had around it. Um. But I mean, I guess the other part of going to reading for me is like is being part of the literary community and you know, yeah. you know, Putting having those relationships. Those yeah. yeah, and um, I don't know. I mean, I really it's it's nice to have a place to go where there's like your your tribe of people are there, you know, and and they all appreciate um, writing and words the way that you appreciate it, or you know, at least have some sort of passion for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my ideal, my ideal way of experiencing poetry is, I think, basically just reading it. Um, You're my ideal audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll go to your performance and I'll just read your poems. Yeah. Well, I, that's one of the things I've been, I've been thinking about doing was, um, like, the next time that I that I do a that I get asked to read, which if anybody's out there and you want somebody to read, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I have an enthusiastic maybe for you. Um, no, but like, because I, I really don't like reading my poems, and I typically don't write to be read aloud. I would rather, because like, I, I want people to have individual, like, intimate interactions with my words, and when I'm speaking to a large group of people, I feel like they're not, like, they're they're connecting to it individually, but also as a group, and it's like you're aware of, like, you're in a space with other people encountering this instead of being able to be kind of isolated and insulated in your own in their own world. So I've thought a lot about um, either doing some sort of projection with them or like doing right. a, a real like quick and dirty pamphlet yeah. stitch with just the poems that I like the selection of poems that I would pick from to read for that night. Um, but that in and of itself, I feel, would be really, really awkward for people to just, like, for 15 minutes to be sitting there in silence yeah. reading something. Yeah, if you ever do this, I'm not coming. Well, no, but I was thinking, like, oh, a way that I could... Because I'm also looking for a way to, to bridge my music with that. Yeah. So I was thinking of um, like oh, that's having... Yeah. I would come if you're playing music. Yeah, and that I'll would, think about it. And that, that, to me, would be the way to create this... Like, give people that, that sort of insulating space that... Um, like the music is there so it's not weird for them to just be sitting there and also if they get finished reading early there's still something for them to do instead of just being like 
sleep and read it. Right. Drink your coffee. See, I still feel like that would be weird and artificial to like. Read I mean, them at to like, read them in a in a, like with other people sitting around. That's just that's just odd to me too. But that like you don't you don't think that the, like having the music would it would help? Okay. Oh yeah, it would totally help. Okay. Way better than silence, but the the experience I think would still be strange to me. Yeah. Because that's like it, but and I don't I don't know if there's a way to hit all the people because. I mean, I know a lot of people enjoy going to readings because they like being like read to and having the experience of the the, the poet or the you know whoever the writer is right. performing their work. Right, the embodiment. Yeah, of but the... I also know that there are a lot of people that I mean, I assume that there are because I'm like this and I go to readings too. It's like I would much rather like have a have a copy of the script that they're that they're going from, so I can at least like follow along and right. like I can like the things that, that they're saying. It's like I can internalize instead of just like. Right. hearing it right ideally you know because the ear fatigue and all that right ear fatigue <laughs> <laughs> well ideally for me it'd be like I was the, like if I really could just like lay it out like oh, yeah. I'm gonna like design your reading okay and for me okay it would be like you would read maybe like three or four po- poems total uh-huh. well depending on how long they were yeah um but like three or four, four poems there would be like a projector so I could read them mm-hmm. while you read them and then, like, you would go through them all, and then you would go through them all again. And you might even read them, like, three times. Like, the mm. same poem. We, we talked about this, right? A yeah. little bit or something. Because I feel like that would give you time, you know, and there would be sort time of... For, it to, for them to sink in. There would be a little like, bit of a, you know, you would say, hey, like, there's going to be, you know, a 30-second pause between each poem. Like, don't, you know, don't applaud. Don't, yeah. cr- don't whatever, snap. People do that readings. You know, just so you, you know, like... The sil- you're just basically saying like the silence is for you take it yeah you know and then I'll start reading the next poem that so will be would it be there. would it be like one poem three times through and then silence and then another poem three times through and silence or would it be like all three poems and yeah then silence and then all three poems again and then silence and then all three poems again well I was thinking that it'd be like one poem like a like one set of like however many you're gonna do but there would be like thirty seconds between each one okay. or whatever 15 seconds and then you read the second one the third one the fourth one and then you go back and read the first one again huh. i don't know yeah, i think you don't, like... i think that that the thing about readings is that one i like i would like to have the text in front of me as well yeah. because that's how i absorb but but two there's never any time. It's like right, yeah, because like, people read it read, and, then, and like, then you move. I'm on. gonna read another poem. Yeah, I'm gonna read another poem. Yeah, because like, it's like I, there's no. It's time. really awkward to yeah. just stand there and not do anything. I guess, but I don't know. No, but I, I agree, and that that's another issue that I've had with readings, especially with, with poetry, is that there's not there's not enough time for you to like just kind of sit there and absorb yeah. and just like metastasize whatever it was that you just experienced or that either you heard or you read. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the right word to use in that in that context. I don't but know, but it, it, that's like it feels like a heavy word, <laughs> like yeah. scary, like potatoes. Yeah. Oh yeah, like that word, wild potatoes. I still haven't made actually made them. I just use them for other stuff. <laughs> oh, one of my favorite things. So we have one of our coworkers. Whenever he goes somewhere, I guess to New York. He'll, he'll, somewhere. He goes somewhere and he, he brings us York. back. Um, salt potatoes. Packages of salt potatoes, which are essentially just potatoes 
that you like cook a, in salt. Like a, like a two, lot. three pounds of potatoes and then a huge fucking bag of salt. And the directions on the on the front were like they'll tell you how to how to make them. It's like you know, boil them and then throw the salt in there. Like empty the entire thing of salt and then boil them. You know, like cook them for a while. And then there's directions for less salt. Which it's is like, like if you if you want potatoes with less salt, the instructions are just use more more water and less salt. Right. And like what? Thank you for that. Yeah, it's like I could have figured that out myself. Right. Like the instructions on uh, how, need, to, but how to people toast need permi- People need permission to to do things. So oh. That's why they're you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, if you're gonna do it. Just use less. <laughs> like, and then people are like, oh, you can use less. Like, people just want permission. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of reading kind of things, kind of. Okay, but then I need to read a poem. Too. Okay, yeah. Okay. No, this this will this will lead into this. Oh, this okay. segue nicely. Okay. Um, like, when... With no poems. Um, in the... In the... On the occasions that you actually read through, like, a collection of poetry... Do you like how do you read through it? Of of the myriad ways that you could read through yeah. a collection. I mostly I mostly just start in the beginning and then, you know, page through. Um once you get finished reading a selection, when you go back like hop through and find the ones that like Yeah. Yeah, and like I'll you'll, go, you'll I'll go back after you read it through the yes. first time. Okay. Yeah, typically. I mean, not like I am steeped in, you know, reading collections of poetry, but I actually do have Leah Purpura collection. Um, so she wrote the collection um, P-U-R-P-U-R-A. So she wrote the collection called It Shouldn't Have Been Beautiful. Um, and I read through that that way and then, you know, have just gone back to look at certain ones that I really... Whatever the idea in the poem was, like, stuck with me, so I wanted to sort of find it again and, you know, revisit it. Um, Do you want to read something from there? Um, or yeah. not? Yeah. Well, I, this yeah, I'll read this one. Um, so most of her poems are like about really like distilled moments or mm-hmm. whatever or ideas. Um, I think I sent this one to you, but it's called Belief. Light being wavy in particular at once is instructive. Why wouldn't other things or states present as both and? For instance, I both believe and can't. Holding these together produces a wobble. I think it's time to take seriously as a stance. I really, I really like that poem. Like that line, um, for instance, I both believe and can't. Mm -hmm. Just floored me. I'm like, you know, it is. It's always and or, and it's, that's not how life is. Yeah. You know, life is an end or life is my life. My experience in life is that it's, it's mostly both things are true and both things mm-hmm. that should sort of cancel each other out or, yeah. you know, you can believe and you can't, you know? Yeah. Um, and we just like to simplify things and it's like so much. Well, I was, um, back in, back in the day, Back in undergrad, like five years ago, um, I was doing some research on dreams and like dream logic, and I actually took like a one of the ran- most random classes I took was a um, independent study on music videos, mm. um, and like I, because I was there are a couple of songs that I was that I wanted to like script out or do a treatment of a music of music videos, right? For. 
Um, and there's an actual textbook on like music video theory and stuff. Um, and one of the things that, that the, whoever the author was of the textbook said um, is that in music videos, a lot of times, um, like reality and logic is treated as if you're in a dream. That it's not like things that happen later on in the video don't um, negate things that happened earlier. So it's like it's not right. it's not a causation of uh, through chronology. Weird. But the same thing happens with dreams. That like right. you can be somewhere and it's like you're in your house, but it's actually a school. Um, yeah. And it's like it's not it's not it's it was your house and it is a school or it, it was your house and then it is a school. It's right. Both are at the same time. Right. True. And just because it was a, it's a school now doesn't mean it wasn't your house right. beforehand. That's weird. I never thought about the way that that relates to dreams. Because like some some music videos that are more narrative don't like they don't follow those rules because it is an actual kind of like narrative. But a lot right. of other ones that are like more montage or you know like there's a there are a couple of examples that were given. I don't remember off the top of my head um, what they were, but I I still have the the textbook I think, and I could I could probably find what they what they were, but the, like. If there's a like something that happens earlier in the video and then something later that contradicts it, right? Both it's like it's not actually a contradiction. It's just that it, it's like it's both are true. It's expansive enough to contain both things. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is, like you said about life is you know it's like both things are like when we were talking about the um like the subjective experience that both are true. Right. Um. But you know it's like it's person it's you know it's like whoever it's personal it's like that's true for you and this is true for me yeah and then there's sort of like a like a capital p truth it's like this is what's actually going on sort of yeah but it's all yeah true yeah yeah doesn't both both, both make sense and, and doesn't make sense and <laughs> <laughs> that's okay <laughs> yeah but yeah i really i really so anyway i wound up going to her I wound up buying her collection of um, poems because I went to a reading that she gave. Mm -hmm. um, I should have gone to that reading. Yeah, and it was really great. And most of the time, I wind up buying the book, whoever, because like I'm such a sucker. And I feel like you know I've got to support mm -hmm. you know writers, and um, which is a good a great way to feel. But um, but I was just you know. I went into the reading, which I go into most readings, and I'm like, I am not buying this book. Like, because I have a stack of books oh, yeah. that I'm like, you know, gonna every, read. Every reader, that's the reality of yeah. the reader. And then I'm, the writer. I, yeah, and then I'm like, I'm not gonna buy another one until I get through these, and then that never happens. So, well, at least with poetry books, anyway. they're usually typically, they're short. Yeah, you know, like, I can I thump through this. I read the whole thing. The whole thing. Um, so yeah, but anyway, I mean, I really enjoyed her reading and her poems so I don't know so that was cool I dig her is there any other any other poems you? I saw you had a Mary Oliver book floating around I do have a Mary and but the, the one poem that you, you don't you're missing that word yes I'm gonna read this which is yeah yeah I have this one poem that um this poem is actually from college like I first read it when I was in college, which I'm 38, so that was like a while ago. Um, that's like five years ago. That's like, yeah, like way, I'm like way older than Michael. Um, no, no, 12? No. 11 years. No. Well, yeah. like yeah. 10 and a half. I'm going to be 28 in February. 
All right, 11. Ten and a half. Yeah. That's still a while. Um, oh, but anyway, so this was from a while back. And I had saved it, and then I lost my copy of it. So I actually emailed my professor from oh, wow. back then, who, by the way, was a professor who told me I wasn't ready <laughs> to go to graduate school, which she was right. That's fine, but I really didn't like her for a while. But anyway, emailed her, um, and she sent me a copy of it because I, I couldn't remember the name of the person who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, who is that? But by as the it way? turns out, it's not on the internet anywhere. Like, I find that hard to believe. Believe me. Um, I'm like, believe me. I have a book. Otis C. Williams Jr. So, anyway. Read this poem, loved it. Title like, of it. Couldn't remember it. Um, it's called For Your Future Reference. And so there's an introduction to it, which was written by Robert Penn Warren, which I'm going to read too because I feel like it's like um, pertinent. Um, the thing by Robert Penn Warren says The author of these poems, or poems, had never written a poem in his life, but was, like his wife, a lifelong reader of poetry. He gave these to his wife on his 56th birthday, saying, I don't know why. I feel fine. I just felt like saying this. Eight months later, he was dead of an unsuspected cancer. Later, his wife, whom I have never known, sent me these pieces out of the blue. I do feel that they should reach a wider audience than for which they were devotedly intended. The poems were untitled when they reached my hand. The only remark about them from the bereaved was that she regarded them as one poem, not two. Um... And so I'll read it, and they're they're broken into like one, two sections, so that's why all of that business about that. It's called For Your Future Reference. What can I promise you of all the things I would have liked to promise you now that you've passed over to the other side? So swiftly and so smoothly, suddenly. There was one there was only one momentary stabbing pain, and I had no time to think of myself or what was happening to me, but only of you. What would become of you, he thought, like a concerned bystander, stripped or relieved of all human feeling, as no one still living can be relieved? Would she be all right? What can I promise you? Only that you may have me as long as you can, and I will be. And for your future reference, I can promise you that it does not hurt and it is not dark, because there is no light. It is only different. I think that if I could feel anything, I would miss, miss you very much. But you must know that I have not gone away to anywhere. It is only you who have stayed where we once were. Death does not seem to affect me the way I thought it would. There is no lack of awareness that I am dead. The lamps are lighted in the house next door, and the geese flew months... Oh, sorry. The lamps are lighted in the house next door. The geese flew months ago. And I have trouble remembering what happened yesterday, but no trouble remembering long ago. There is a dull grayness, numbness, not unpleasant and it's all in black and white. I used to dream in black and white. It is not reasonable to expect that I would be dead in color. So it is not what I thought it might be when I said long ago the worst thing I could think of will be to be dead and not know it. It is different. I know, because I can cannot now feel the lights next door, and there are no lamps lighted in my house, and the geese I did not watch for long enough when they flew, I cannot bring back. Not back in time to watch again and make a difference. If I were wishing any more, I would wish the lamps lit here, the geese winging endlessly so I could watch, and that I could be dead in color. So that's it. Um, Damn. 
Yeah. So, and the line that has always stuck out to me is, what can I promise you? Only that you may have me as long as you can and I will be. Like, that line just got inside of me. And, um, you know, I've actually given that poem to, you know, friends whose, you know, loved ones have passed away because it's like, when you lose someone, there's there's nothing you can say, you mm-hmm. know, and and there's nothing that can bring any kind of comfort. But like, if there were, like that line is the closest thing I could think of, you know, to bringing somebody comfort. Yeah, is that like you can have that person as like he was basically like writing this poem to his wife about death. Yeah, and what it was gonna be like, and how he was gonna be okay, and what he's worried about her, and then he dies. <laughs> after that it's so weird um but i mean even if you don't know that backstory of like that weird circumstance of the poem being written like that line just just kills me i mean um yeah i don't know so like i have a couple of friends who lost their moms you know and that is that is all i can really you know think to to like give them is like that you can you can have you you can still have your mom as long as you need her you know yeah. like she is she is there you know in some way yeah. so anyway deep thoughts but yeah like that's and then and I also really like to end in like saying about the geese like flying like as you would watch them and stuff like that that that's so cool so this reminded me of I don't know why um I guess it kind of makes sense in the context of the story, but um, Kafka on the Shore by Murakami. Um, towards the end, there's a section that the main character goes into this kind of like other world, and you kind of surmise that it's like the the world of the dead or like the in, in, a weird sort of in between state. And when he was describing what it was like to be on like the other side, yeah, that like the first thing that came to mind was like that section of Kafka on the Shore. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. So that it brought you to another piece. Which like definitely makes sense for as far as Murakami goes. It's like that's because I always kind of suspected that that's what the land is. Oop! I dropped the thing I was playing with. Oh. Um. I always kind of figured that that's what. Oh, so I don't know. Like retroactive spoilers. Sorry. Um. Oh, <laughs> retroactive. <laughs> P.S. At least I told people before my spoilers. Yeah. Well, I didn't. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. It doesn't change your experience with reading the book. Just go fucking just, read it. Just do it, people. Do it. It's a good book. Yeah. Um, aside from like the weird, kind of rapey stuff that happens. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I haven't, I haven't read it. So I was just going. I mean, on. like Murakami always has weird sex stuff that happens, and this one's pretty part for the course. You're which, really spoiling everything. Anyway, <laughs> you, you, anybody who reads Murakami knows. <laughs> There's Murakami Bingo actually that's oh. out there. That anyway, um, so I always kind of figured that that like that the kid Truth goes bingo. yeah the, the the kid goes to like some like dead war like maybe not the land of the dead but like a land of the dead or something, um, and the fact that that made me think of it confirm at least personally confirms it for me that that's like that's where he is for that section of the, the yeah. book yeah. Good poem though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I actually want to steal the line that um I shouldn't expect I'll be dead in color. Right. As yeah. a like a 
titled a collection or like an album or something because that's yeah. a really fucking awesome line yeah it is it is you have that title and then um do not put candy in the ice maker etc yeah <laughs> the other really good title don't steal that people no you can't okay. titles aren't aren't copyrighted no they can't steal it because i'm probably going to use it you're going to use it there can't be a lot of books out there named that what if there were <laughs> they could be the movement movement Every, that changed oh, the okay. world. Every, everybody who listens to this, at some point in your life, you have to either write a poem, like, either write a book, a, a poem, a book, a short, like either write something or make some some type of art and title it, please do not put candy, no, candy, etc. in the ice maker. Oh, it's candy, etc. That's right. In the ice maker. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes more sense. I think I said candy in the ice maker, etc. <laughs> but that doesn't make sense. But you also have to write it in really square kind of like lettering too. Very square passive aggressive lettering. Yeah. <laughs> so there the thing that we're referencing is there there's a um at the shop in like like the break room kitchen area there is a fridge um and on the fridge there is a sign that says please do not put candy etc in the ice maker. Um that from a receptionist that used to work there years ago. That no one has decided to take down. <laughs> right. Um, so it's still, it's been, how long has it been on, on the fridge? Like a years, A couple right? years before you came. Yeah. So you've been there a year, so at least, yeah, at least three years. Because um, apparently somebody was putting candy and et cetera <laughs> in the ice maker, and the receptionist was up, upset about it. Um, yeah. So I probably, instead of talking to whoever it was that was doing it, just put the, the note on there. Written in angry square. Yeah. Lettering. But, like, but the funny part about it all is that, like, I had been looking at that sign for two years, so it had essentially become invisible. And then Michael came, and he, like, he was like, that'd be a great title. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, that would be a great title. But it was really funny because when you came to the shop, like, there were so many things that I hadn't seen. Uh-huh. For a, It's like when you have a guest to your house, yeah. and you're like, oh, my God, this place is a mess, you know. Uh-huh. I was like, wow. But it was in a good way. I was like, wow, there's so many things that I was not tuned into. One of, one of my neatest experiences in the shop um, so far has been, there's a day that I took off my glasses and was just kind of looking around, and there's a hell of a lot that's, like, really oh, really color. colorful. Right. Um, but there's also, like, all the grizzly, we have a bunch of big machines, like, you know, like, drill presses and um, like a planer and some other stuff, like a bandsaw thing. Um, they're all made, but all a lot of them are made by grizzly, and they're all painted the exact same color green. Yeah. I guess it's like grizzly green or whatever. Grizzly green, yeah. Um, so there's this like kind of deep foresty emerald green spotted throughout the shop, and then we have a bunch of um, you know like tools that have handles and stuff that are all different colored and yeah. like we have shop tape, you know, like painters tape and that's blue and green and all the clamps that are like orange and red. But see, I feel like even if somebody else, like if I if I didn't wear my contacts and I had my glasses in one day and then like took them off like I wouldn't even notice that stuff. Really? I wouldn't even notice that there were all these different colors so I feel like that's hmm. something that's sort of partic- particular to you well, when I when yeah. I don't have my glasses on I everything is distilled down to color and motion right same for me which mine's probably worse because there's no way that you're you're just looking at your glasses just by the I can I can I can see how thin they are. Just by eyeballing it. You don't have any Coke bottle glasses. But, anyway. So I think that's kind of neat. You see things. 
driving without your glasses is an interesting experience. Don't tell me about that. That's not a good idea. I don't do it at night because that's dangerous. It... <laughs> <laughs> it's all dangerous. You just said it's distilled to motion and color. Yeah, but I mean, it's like when you're driving, that's really all you need to see is just oh, like, Lord. like cars that are. You only take are... them off for like a second to like wipe your eyes. I hope. No, there was one time in uh, back in I think Lafayette that I drove home one afternoon without them on, um, but like I didn't need to see any any of the signs. Like I could see that the lights were obviously red, and I could see cars moving. That's weird. That's just weird. Like that you would try to do that is weird to me. Well, I mean, I, I knew that I could do it. Right. It wasn't like I was like, God, I hope I get home today. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm just going to drive home without my glasses. Because after I'd been there for such a long time, it's like I knew, like, I could, you know, those, those times when you're driving and you're like, suddenly you're like, oh, I'm here. I have no recollection of actually driving yeah. and, like, getting here. Yeah. Like, I could I could pull off one of those to get home. I also didn't live that far away from campus at the time, so it was like, yeah. I could be in the car for maybe five minutes. Eh. Nah. Did you have your glasses with you and you just... No, I just kind of like, like put them on my head. Right, but like, I mean they were. Oh yeah. It's not like you forgot them. No. Okay. No, right, I was this like. This is literally no. like way off on a tangent right now, like huge tangent. Um, and we're also we're encroaching like an hour and forty five minutes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we're those people. I told him to cut his his podcasts down. And they keep... and look and look at us. Just okay. gabbing away. Just gabbing away. Just so much to say. Um. Well, as is customary for the last question, oh, um, no. are there any questions that you have for me? Um, I don't think I do. Like, I tried to think of one that was really <laughs> original, and then I kind of forgot. So, <laughs> I, I don't think that I really... Or is there anything that you, that you would like to know that you've never asked? But not, not doesn't have to do anything with, with writing, just in general. Is there anything that you, you wanted to ask or wanted to know that... In light, about life? Or, uh, yeah, sure. Whatever. God real. Is that, is you want that to be your no. question? <laughs> um, no, I mean, of course there are things about life, but no, I, I don't think that there's anything, there's nothing nagging at me. But I do want to read one more poem. Okay. If that's okay. Yeah. Or maybe two. But okay. Wait, which one do I want to hear? No, I'm just going to give you the other one. Okay. Because it has to do with things we've talked about before. Um, But this one's by K. Ryan. Ooh, another K. Ryan. Well, it's the same K. Ryan. Oh, I mean another one, another poem. By oh, her. not not another K. Ryan. It's like oh, there's two two Wait, poet K. Ryan. I only read. Uh, did I read one? Though? No, you mentioned. Oh, her. okay. I just mentioned. I'm like, I'm like, it's been so an hour forty five minutes. I can't even remember what we talked about in the beginning. Um, I don't. I, well, I mean, I have. We. Uh, you have a list. Kind of. Yeah. We talked about art of memoir and wild. Yeah. And safekeeping. My girlfriend, Cheryl. Um, yeah, Cheryl, if you're listening. Cheryl, if you're Hi. listening, ugh, I love you. <laughs> Alright, that sounded creepy. I actually have met her, so she already knows I love her. But anyway, and I wasn't like a crazy stalker, I don't think. <laughs> Except that I changed my profile picture. To the one that you to took the with one her. With yeah. her, and I kept it like that for a while, and then I decided it's too creepy, so I had to change it. You should you should print it out and. Frame it. Mail it to her. No, I should just make frame a frame it. and then should, mail it to her. I should frame it the and then take BFFs a picture of me <laughs> holding the picture and then mail it to her. But frame that picture. Yes. <laughs> just, okay, here's <laughs> the poem. BFF Danielle. Yeah. That's not creepy. 
Okay. Um, What's the name of this poem? So this poem is called Why We Must Struggle. And this is the kind of poem that I like. Um, okay. And this is one that she hand copied. She's reading from her journal. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen. From my dark period. Non-gender conforming individuals that are out there listening. Yes. Um, okay, why we must struggle. If we have not struggled as hard as we can at our strongest, how will we sense the shape of our losses or know what sustains us longest or name what change costs us? saying how strange it is that one sector of the self can step in for another in trouble, how loss activates a latent double, how we can feed as upon nectar, upon need. I like that. I'm going to have to check her out. Yeah, I really I really like that. She kind of reminds me of a, um, a little more succinct... Well, I guess Jane Herschel has a couple poems that are that succinct. Um... Supple Deer is absolutely fantastic. Who? Jane Hirschfield, The Supple Deer. Oh. Okay. You know no? I'm going to find it and read it. I think I'm still logged into your. your Let's hope so, because if not, fire. it's a really long password that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 45 characters. Anyway, do you have it? Uh, the joys of technology. So. Um, Danielle and I actually had about another five minutes of this recorded, um, but because of, I, I don't know what happened, some sort of technical issue, um, my grudge band did not capture any of it. So Danielle wrote a poem, Terrible. I wrote a poem, and then Danielle said a bunch of really nice things about me, and then we, um, made some veiled, um, artistic threats at oh. Jane and... Jane Hirschfield and Cheryl Strayed. Um, Only that we were going to write something. Well, Michael was going to write something better. As good and better. Yeah, than Jane. Because and it can be, I was it can be both. Right. It can be both. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, so, we're going we're gonna to end. Yeah. Because um, there is a. I would like Danielle to read the, the last, um, or the second K. Ryan poem that she wanted to read, and I would like to share the the poem by Jane Hirschfield that I, um, that I'd mentioned. Um, yeah. And then, and then I'm going to say something nice about you again. Okay. <laughs> and you're going to be okay with that. Okay. 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 So knock it out of the park, Danielle. Okay. So this is called waste. Not even waste is inviolate. The day misspent, the love misplaced has inside it a seed of redemption. Nothing is exempt from resurrection. It is tiresome how the grass re-ripens, greening all along the punched and mucked horizon once the bison have moved on, leaning into hunger and hard luck. So, yeah. You might like Tom Hinnon. Tom Hinnon. Okay, well, send him my way. He's, um... Will I write something better than him? Will you write something better than him? I don't know, man. Okay. He's... He writes these, like, real short kind of bleak prairie poems that are just gorgeous oh they're so good okay um but that kind of reminded me of that it's like they they don't they don't mince or parse words they just kind of say things and they get to the point and then they're like i'm done this yeah. is this is it yeah um which is a quality of, of poetry that i i seem to be gravitating towards and appreciating more and more um as i as i 
progress in age in my artistic life. Yes, is that a gray hair? I see. I'm actually I, I'm, I'm either just, getting I'm kidding blonde or like really 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 blonde hair or white in my beard and my mustache. Mm. Well, who knows? I had an I had an uncle not related to me, but I'm still I had an uncle that went gray in high school. Blonde. I mean, you never know. Yeah. You could be good. Michael has dark brown hair if you haven't Googled him yet. I don't think I'm... Which you probably don't, don't even have any... Googleable. You probably don't have any pictures on the internet. I have a... Well, I mean, if you can... I think all like, my pro, my Facebook... Um, profile pictures are or, weird things. Yeah, well, it's, there's that. The last, like, six of them have been things that are not me. Right. I mean, emotionally truth, they're me. Right. Objective truth, not, not me. Not you. Yeah. Um, Factual truth, not Factual me either. Truth, no. Um, you also have to figure. You also have to spell my name correctly. Actually, I know where there's a picture of you. <gasps> um, Faith Elliott blog, which I meant to tell you about. There's a picture um, of me. Yeah, she took a bunch of pictures, and um, you're gonna really have to look. But he's on scaffolding. He's there. And Can you actually like make me out, or? Yeah, yeah. I meant to tell you about it because it's a really good picture. Like. It's like you and somebody else, but like you're just oh like, probably you're Holly. like looking out. You're not looking at the camera. You're just like looking yeah. out. But anyway, Faith Elliott. If you can e find her. E L L I O T, I think. Anyway. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, read your poem. Yeah. Not well. Not my poem. Yeah. My poem to be presented. Your poem will be better. Yeah. Okay, I'm actually gonna hopefully read it a little better this time. Yes. Yeah, because the other time was dreadful. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> Thank God for that glitch. And that, this is why I don't want to read poems. Right. Because on paper, it's a great poem. Me on presenting paper. it, my presentation of it. Nobody stutters on Dreadful. paper. Dreadful. Terrible. Anyway, so this is called The Supple Deer. It's by Jane Hirschfield, who was apparently born in 1953. Random trivia for you. Um, and it goes like this. The quiet opening between fence strands, perhaps 18 inches. Antlers to hind hooves, four feet off the ground, the deer poured through. No tuft of coarse white, no tuft of the coarse white belly hair left behind. I don't know how a stag turns into a stream, an arc of water. I have never felt such accurate envy, not of the deer. To be that porous, to have such largeness pass through me. See, that was nice because that was the second time I heard it. Mm -hmm. So I definitely now yeah. feel confirmed in the fact that I would like to experience poetry reading yeah. that way. Um, because I don't obviously have it in front of me, so I was just listening to it. And yeah. You catch things that you don't yeah. get the first time. Also, as I, I mentioned this before, and I don't think it caught it. I don't know if it did or not. But I used the, um, the last line of this poem, um, to be that porous, to have such largeness pass through me. As the epigraph of my MFA thesis, because um, yeah. I read, I was reading. That's from a collection of hers called *Come Thief*. And um, while I was working on my thesis, um, there were a couple of poems that I couldn't, I couldn't parse out. And then I read through that collection, and it really, like, it unlocked those some of those poems. One in particular, it unlocked it. And I was like, I'm, I was like, I'm indebted to this collection, and I want to have, want to honor it in some way. But yeah. Is a good way to honor it. Until I write something better, or just—I mean, just as good. Just as equally as good as Jane Hirschfeld. That's pretty big. 
excuse to sell, but you can do it. Yeah, well, I mean, I do have tiny feet. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah, we have the same size. Mm-hmm. Which we discovered last night. Yeah. Anyway. Rock climbing. Rock climbing. Not any other ways that you would discover that you have the same size feet as somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> because we got shoe rental. Yes. Um, yes, so now I'm going to say the nice thing I said before, which okay. is that... Um, totally not rehearsed this time. Well, no, but it, but I mean, I already kind of said it, so it's a little weird. But yeah, um, what I was gonna, what I said was that, like, it's really cool that you're doing this because, when, when Michael's like first like thought of doing this, it was just like this idea, you know, and it's it's really neat to see it go from this idea to this thing that you're actually doing, and and it's really interesting to listen to. So I think that. You know, and it's kind of also nice to see, like, you grow over the episodes, too, which probably sounds like, I don't know, I don't mean that in, like, a, in, like, a, I don't know, bad way, but, like, I can, I'm I can, like, getting... hear you getting more comfortable oh, yeah. doing it, which is, which is neat, you know, it's neat to, to know that you can just jump into doing something. Yeah. And maybe you don't have to be so worried about, like, oh, yeah, all of the other stuff, and you yeah. just jumped in, and you done it and like it's i did really cool. preliminary research got a bought a yeti usb mic and then and that was it kind of dicked around with it at first and was like i, I spent an hour one night yeah. recording the first episode yeah and the addendum yeah and the addendum so no, anyway we, it's been it's been really cool. it's been it's been interesting for me to to see i mean i don't i don't know how many people out there are actually listening to this i mean i'm getting plays and stuff but they seem to have kind of tapered off a little bit after like the first two episodes that I got, or that I had, have, like, close to 200 plays each. And then the rest of them have around, Same. like, 60 to, like, maybe 30 or so, or 20. Yeah. Um, I appreciate everybody who's out there listening. Um, I don't know, I, my the episodes are available on iTunes, so I don't know if listening on iTunes counts as plays towards, like, That's on my cool. SoundCloud. Um, but I am, I am super thankful of everybody who's listened to this, and I really... Um, I hope that it's been edifying, I mean, at the least entertaining. Um, the people that I've talked to that have been kind of faithful listeners have mentioned that it, it made them think about things differently. That's, or that's like what I was going to say. Thought-provoking. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, I'm... If I can do what I can to, like, demystify poetry, which, I mean, I don't know, I haven't really tried to tackle, just I'm hoping that, like, in talking about it, people will... Um, like, they will see it as something that's not, like, a super scary or this, like, super esoteric thing that yeah. they have to be, like, you know, smart or clever to understand. Like I thought it was. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you, like, you can, you can experience a poem and you can, you might not necessarily need to get it. I mean, it's like listening to music, like a Beethoven thing. Um, like, a lot of those, like, a lot of classical, or at least, like, romantic classical music, um, was written for particular occasions you don't necessarily have to know the occasion like knowing the occasion might make it a little more impactful but you can sit there and listen to this music and be super influenced by it and experience like have a really profound experience of it yeah um and i think the same thing is with poetry it's like you can read something and it's like you don't have to like it may not make sense but if it hits you somewhere like it seeps down then you know it's like that's that's a valid and worthwhile thing to have experienced yeah um so around this time in the last recording uh 
Danielle's two dogs were barking furiously because her partner got home. Um, but now we have a very quiet send-off. We can do it. We can do it not rushed. We can do it not rushed. But probably because we've been talking for a little over two hours. Yeah. Um, for God's worst. Um, well, it's, it'll be about two hours with this recording, not with the like the minus the five minutes of stuff we already recorded. But anyway, um, I'm going to try to do another episode before the year ends, um, hopefully with a guest. If not, maybe just a, a, like a recap, like a Friday News Roundup style podcast if, if there are any diane ring fans out there taking down diane now i i need to do something to get interviewed by her she's she, guys she's retiring next year help me help me make this podcast world renowned so that she will talk to me seriously people yeah it. yeah that's, spread that's it on you spread it around that's all on you yeah um but anyway um thank you again for listening um i'll catch y'all all again next time don't have a good sign off so maybe it should be do your art instead of from, do your dreams from oh that's what that's what it was do your dreams from when amory said that that made me laugh so hard do your dreams people well, that's that, that's something that that her and anthony said oh, so i don't okay. i don't want to oh, co-op it into okay. like a big so but i will say this make your art okay drops pencil in bed i'm out talk to y'all later